Hey, this is Stacy, and today I have another special guest. And uh, today's guest is Holly Bouchard, and Holly was a canine narcotics handler in northern Minnesota. Hey, Holly. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing on this fine morning? Doing well. Doing well. Yes. Yes. I thought I thought this was uh, this was going to be a. I think this is going to be a really good, really good topic. You know, it's kind of front of mind with a lot of people and. Yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about handling and stuff like that, and um, you know, just have just have a good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. So, Holly, you were a canine narcotics handler. Do you want to tell me and tell us a little bit about kind of what what does that entail? A little bit, you know, some of us we have, you know, we have visions from movies and from watching cops, and I think that's about it. Well, uh, when I was assigned to my dog, I was fortunate enough to get several weeks of one-on-one training with a detection dog trainer, and my dog lived in my home with me and spent every shift with me in the back of my squad car. Super fun to live with a dog and then be able to go to work with a dog. My dog was kind of a psychotic high-drive lab, and he loved going into that squad car more than anything else. giant fan of doing nose work when it came to looking for narcotics and just super fun to live with oh wow that's that's really cool that you you know um especially you know me in labs um so yeah, i'm like absolutely. i like perk, perk up my ears i'm like oh a lab <laughs> yeah he was so he was so high drive that one morning he had slept out in the hallway i woke up and when i opened my bedroom door there was blood sprayed on my walls and my ceiling, and I immediately slammed the door and went back into the bedroom and got my gun and came out. And he had wagged his tail so hard that he'd sprayed blood all over my home with a tail break. Oh, no. So just super, super high drive and super labby in every sense of the word. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So did um, so from a, um, a handling perspective, because now you do nose work. Right. Yes, I do. Yeah, and you do nose work with um, with all your dogs, right? Yep, a pit bull and two whippets. Very different than my lab. That's very different. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And you're doing NW three now, right? I am. I just started two weeks ago. We debuted, and we've had the fortune to be drawn twice, and we've been able to get a couple of legs. It's been a real education to be playing at nose work three. Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. Well, looking forward to having you at Elite pretty soon. Thank you. That will be very, very cool. And it's got to be, you know, quite different running whippets and running a Labrador and uh, canine. Absolutely. Canine narcotics. And um, that's that's got to be really interesting. So, um, well, I learned so much as yeah. a canine handler. I learned so many good things that helped me with nose work. And then I learned some things that I consider to be kind of a handicap for nose work. It's an interesting blend between a giant leg up and then a couple of things I'm going to have to suppress if I want to be successful playing the game. Oh, like what? Like what? I think I think that's well, exactly the kind of stuff we, we'd love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, if you just uh, spend a couple of years behind a detector dog, you learn how dogs work odor. You learn to read change of behavior. You learn how they search. You learn how to encourage drive in those dogs. You learn to let them, let them do their thing. But the other thing you learn is to control a search. And so learning the change of behavior and learning how to build drive and learning how to keep the game fun, man, 
I got a real leg up with all of that. Right. But the other thing I got is I got to develop sort of a perfect picture of what a working nosework dog should look like. Okay. And I know there's no one definition, but to see a dog that lives and breathes to search was really helpful because then when I started training my dog, I was trying to duplicate that enthusiasm and also duplicate um, a quality alert. And so I think that was just a giant, you know, it was advantageous to be able to have that history. But on the other hand, when you're running a narcotics dog, you don't put them on the end of a 20-foot line and follow them around. Um, you learn to overhandle. Okay. And overhandling is pretty necessary on a narcotics dog, and it's pretty... It's a pretty good handicap when you're working an Ellsworth dog. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. As, especially, I mean, you know, with, with nose work, it's, it's very different. You know, we're under time constraints, you know, quite, you know, short time constraints as in, you know, several minutes versus however long it takes you to do, you know, a search of a car or a vehicle or that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I would think that that would be like one of the differences. What are some of the other differences that, that you see? Well, if you're going to, when you do searches um, as a narcotics dog handler, if you find something, you're going to be called upon to testify. Now, since you're going to be called upon to testify, you're not going to remember every search you did, especially if it's been a year and a half since you performed that particular search. So the best thing you can do is have a pattern. If you have a pattern of how you approach searches, how you approach vehicles, then when you're called on to testify, you can just say, I always do it this way. Oh, okay. So, so the like you always is, go to the left or something yeah, like that. Yep, I approach from the license plate and work around the vehicle to the license plate, you know, counterclockwise or clockwise, and whatever your pattern is. The other thing is if you are doing searches on vehicles and you do a search very differently than normal, it's always possible that the person who had the different search is going to say, you did that to try and cause a false alert or you did that for your buddy to try and miss an alert, or there's always an opportunity for someone to say you did something improper if you change what you normally do. Oh. So it's very important to have a pattern. It's very important to keep the same picture. It's very important to have that. And it would get so that my dog, Jake, would just do the pattern. He just knew what he was going to do, and I, you know, he knew how we were going to search a car. Oh, that's the other fascinating. Is, yeah, the other difference is it's in Noel's work. The COs are placing findable heights, correct? They're taking into account the conditions. They're trying to place heights that can be found. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, drug dealers, and I would imagine people that want to blow stuff up, are trying to bring in things that can't be found. So when you're looking for odor with a narcotics dog, you're looking for something that someone tried real hard to conceal. Okay. So the quantity of odor available in the environment is going to be different. They aren't going to put their marijuana in the steam of the door. Right. They're going to put it in containers wrapped in their trunk. Right. So now the need to, de the need to detail changes quite a bit with an narcotics dog. You aren't going to go out there looking for scent cones. You'll do that too. But there's also a pretty profound need to hit scenes. Oh, wow. And you'll tap the seam and go, look here. Um, for example, um, one night um, I got called to a traffic stop along a busy highway, and it was a family on a way heading on a vacation, and they wanted me to run the car. 
we ran the car, and my dog buried his nose in the trunk seam and took a giant deep breath and gave his classic alert. Mm -hmm. um, he was a passive alert dog, which meant he sat and stared intently at the steam. Okay. And this was a young family. <laughs> Excuse me. And I was, of course, terrified that this young family was going to be detained on a bad alert. You know, that's always the fear that you have. And when we tore apart the trunk, um, we found four marijuana, four joints wrapped up in multiple baggies in a suitcase in the trunk. Oh, jeez. And that's not a that's not a find that our nosework dogs, our competition dogs, are looking for. That would be more subtle odor than most of them are probably going to locate. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, so uh... working, working, scenes, working scenes changes the picture quite a bit, and that changes the detailing and the need for handler, handler involvement. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. That's, uh, it's actually, it's kind of cool just like, you know, hearing about some of the stories and everything, you know, that, you know, working dogs do and what you're finding. And, um, that's, uh, yeah. So, so it sounds like, you know, if you were following a scent cone, you know, that level of odor probably isn't going to emanate from that trunk so that you can catch it, you know, just walking past the trunk. They really do have to detail. We did have to detail. Yeah. He would have not caught that odor. I don't believe if he hadn't been putting his own steam. Wow. Wow. You know, you know, what's really kind of interesting. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing an interior, um, search with, um, with my, uh, NW3 prep class last night. And we mm -hmm. were in these, uh, like guest suites, if you will. And, yes. um, and I, I set up hides and everything and every single dog false alerted on, um, this dresser drawer. Okay. And it, you know, and I, I looked, you know, I looked at the dresser drawer, there was nothing in there. Now, mind you, you know, people stay in these rooms and everything. Um, there was absolutely nothing in there. We looked all over, we found a pack of palm malls somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. but we're starting to wonder if there was some sort of, you know, novel odor that, um, you know, might not have been all that legal that was in that drawer and there was some leftover odor. Um, sure, or what if they used essential oils therapeutically? Oh, yeah, I wasn't even going. With, a, with an essential oil and the dogs generalized onto essential oils. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't even going there. I was going something more nefarious, but, um... Sure. It was just really kind of interesting how, you know, they can catch just a little bit of tiny odor and, you know, something that, that was there and just lingering or, or, in, or what, what have you. And, um, but it was all, it was all kind of, it was kind of funny. Oh, absolutely. It was kind of funny. Don't you wish you could ask? I do. I do wish yeah. I could ask. I do wish I could ask, but, um, yeah, that was kind of cool, but it, it's just it's just so much fun watching the nose work dogs work and everything like that. And um, no, I it, love it. It must just have been such a rush for you to be able to see something so beautiful, you know, from a, a professional perspective. It was fun. It was it was you know the dog is a flashlight. It was sort of at the time one of the languages we'd use. We would use the dog to enhance the skill that. Uh, you know, to enhance information, like you'd use a flashlight to light up the dark, you'd use a dog to light up the odor, and fascinating to watch their ability and to watch them work. Wow, wow. So, how, 
you know, so, so we talked a little bit about how this helps you as a um, nose work handler. Um, okay. And from a, um, d- d- does it make you want to overhandle at all from, you know, from, Absolutely. from a handler perspective? That's, a, that's what I'm dealing with right now. And it's sort of interesting to me. I tend to overhandle the worst in vehicles. Oh, okay. Because obviously that was what I searched most is vehicles. And I overhandle in containers because I want my dog to hit the seam of every container and not just pass over. Okay. And interiors, I want to tap every every electrical fixture, every door seam, every, <laughs> you know, I really want to overhandle. But I didn't do a ton of exterior work. I didn't do a lot of outdoor searches with my narcotics dog. And so when I get to exteriors, I just let the dog fly. Uh-huh. And it's interesting, but that's the event that we tend to be competitive in most often. Is the one where I leave my poor dogs alone. Oh, and, that, wow! You know, in, in practice, I don't do this. I in practice, I let my dogs have a ton of freedom, and I sweep and I trust them. But what happens is when I get in there, and there's cops standing there judging me, and I am under pressure, I revert back to my original pattern, my original training, and I choke up on the leash, and I want I want my dog to be, you know, handled from my left and I want to back up and have the dog work and I want to keep my right hand free and oh it's just silly oh wow so hopefully I'll get over that now that I'm aware of it um (laughs) I really had to think about why I turn into this different animal when I go in there to search does it surprise your dogs um it I think it does um my whippets kind of have their own plan so I tend to leave them alone a little bit more but the very first trial I ever did with my pit bull gator, the video is just classic. I walked in there and I was, I had it. Gator had the scent cone at nine seconds. You can see it in the video. Uh-huh. And I dragged him back to that license plate and I made him look and look and look. <laughs> and pretty soon he's false alerting on it, staring me full in the face while he's doing it. Like, what are you? And uh-huh. fortunately, I realized at some point that I was screwing this whole thing up and let him go and let him go find the hide. But there was something about walking into that first stressful competition. And, and we all feel that stress the first time we do it. And I think it was having the police officer standing there. And even though he was acting as a judge, there's a posture in a way that they carry themselves that all of a sudden I just went back to my my classic training and it really made me look incompetent (laughs) (laughs) and i had to watch the video a couple of times before i realized what i'd done oh wow wow yeah i think a lot of people you know we we probably underestimate you know the 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 changes that the people from who, who came from like a professional detection background you know how how different you know it the sport is similar to you know, to professional detection, but it's very different in a lot of ways as well. And Absolutely. Yeah, it must be kind of you know kind of complicated coming from that that background and then trying to trying to compete and everything. Um, I mean, obviously you're doing something well, you know, something right because you're doing quite well. So um, it's been fun. We've been we we got we've been really fortunate these last few weeks, and I think it's been easier to search behind whippets who are so different <laughs> from professional dogs, but I think that's been, I think that's made the transition a little easier for me. It's poor Gator that suffers my, my pit bull. Oh, really? Who has the drive and the temperament of my narcotics dog. He's the one I tend to revert the most on because he's the dog that'll absorb it. 
if you will. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So what, what could you tell, from, you know, the people who are listening, we're probably, you know, wanting, you know, there's probably t- tons of questions that people have and everything, you know, they're, that they're just thinking. But, um, you know, my question would be, what can you tell people to, to help them in terms of um, your background? Because there's a whole lot of positive stuff that comes from your background that, that could really help people um, who are trying to compete. I think for me... Um... The things that I borrowed that have been most helpful are the idea of what an enthusiastic dog should look like or or what enthusiasm is. Um, In law enforcement, the dogs are selected to be correct for the work. You're always always in a dog with a ton of drive and a ton of resiliency and not environmental, and you can't have a dog that's distracted. You have to have a dog that's focused and on task and eager. And doing everything possible to duplicate that picture, I think, is very helpful. Um, I don't search with a dog that doesn't want to search. If my dogs are looking a little bit lackadaisical, that isn't that isn't a search we're going to do. Um, I only work a dog that's in a working state, and I think that's been really helpful for my for my nose work dogs to develop what drive that, that they're capable of, de- of developing. If they're distracted, if they're stressed, if they're half-hearted, don't work that dog. Um, wait until you've got the dog you want to do the search. And do whatever you need to do to get them there. If that means go play a while and come back to it or take a break, don't work a dog that isn't in working drive. I think it's easy to get in conflict with a distracted dog, and I think you contaminate the joy of the sport when you allow that kind of extraneous stress to come into that work. I, the other thing for me, and go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, I think that is absolutely um, spot on. Um, you yeah, know, I that, have that's, a, that's a gem. The church. Yeah, I have whippets the church pretty enthusiastically. And I think part of it is when they weren't ready to search enthusiastically, we just didn't train. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who yeah. know me know that I'm really big on motivation and everything. And, um, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think, I think you hit something that is just really, really special. And I hope people hear that and, and I hope they, they really, they really embrace that. Yep. If you get out of your car for an exterior area and your dog is lost in the environment, go to something else, pick those heights up later, come back another day, but don't, don't push a dog that's under stress. Or that stress becomes part of their memory of the sport. Exactly. So exactly. Motivation you're always is always creating habit. a memory reel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 a habit, right? So mm-hmm. working in, in drive is a habit. So creating that habit, mm-hmm. creating that correct habit is, you know, really the the point of, you know, really getting a good motivated nose work dog. Yep. The other thing I think that has been helpful to me, and this one's a little more controversial and maybe a place where we aren't going to totally agree is I want, I want alert obedience. I want, I want a strong alert. And my dogs got to negotiate what their tell was, but they need, it needs to be strong for it. So I need a strong, powerful alert. No half-hearted alerts ever get a cookie. So, but the way I developed that is in my living room with four boxes and I work the alert totally separate from the search okay and and one of my dogs her alert is tapping it with her foot 
Now, it's soft. It's what she chose. It's not what I trained. But she's going to stay there until she's rewarded. She's going to hold. And that doesn't mean her nose is going to hold there, but her body is going to hold, and she's going to stay focused on that hide until I come in and release her from it. And that's a game that we played. And the nice thing about it is, is if I wonder if my dogs are in odor, I just have to see if they hold. They'll hold. And that's a borrow, you know, that's a carryover from the narcotics work where it was critical right, to have right. a, a defiant cell. And I think it's critical that you negotiate the alert so the alert doesn't become stressful. But I think having a strong alert has value, at least it has for me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to someone who doesn't actually have a, a final response on my dog. Um, but I could see... But you do... On some level, you do because you can read it. So there is a final response. It might not be a held or a trained response. Right. But there's enough of a response that you can recognize it. So we all have yeah, there's a final indication. response even if it's not trained. Yeah, it's, it's an indication. I call it on an indication. Um, I don't have, like, a, a formal, except except for Joey. Joey, the standard poodle, he does have a final response. He has a paw. Um, okay. Judd just shows me intensity at the at the, at the hide. If you walk on, will you stay there or come with you? Uh, uh, which one are we talking about? Um, Judd. Judd, no, he stays. He stays. Okay, so you have a, that is his plan. Then, then we're, we're splitting hairs on definitions. Then. Probably. If probably. you'll stay there, then that would be, I would consider odor obedience or a, or a strong response. If he isn't going to peel off yeah. and join you. I would. I think we're talking the same thing using different language. I think you're probably right about that. Um, yeah. You know what I do. Yeah, want I don't is... need my dogs to sit their nose press or down or paw. Right. They need to hold, hold that odor with in whatever manner they choose. They need to hold that odor. So, so what what we are talking about then is odor obedience. And it's, yes, absolutely. It's the fact that you know odor obedience is not a, um, it's 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 not optional. No, if you don't have odor obedience, you're going to have an impossible time playing the game because the game is to find odor and communicate it to the handler. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I, I think you're right. I think we are probably just kind of splitting hairs, and it just comes down to mm -hmm. what do we um, – but actually, it all goes back to motivation, right? Because odor obedience mm -hmm. is, is – um, it's, it's kind of born out of, out of motivation. Um, and if you think about it, Odor obedience is required to earn reward. If the handler doesn't know that the dog is found the hide, there's no rewardable event. Right. 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 And exactly. so the dog does need some way. Or the, I know the handler can just read it, but when the dogs give some sign that they have sourced the odor as tightly as they can, there has to be some communication for the handler to know to come in and give a treat. Right. Otherwise, or a toy, or whatever you choose to reinforce. Without that, there's no rewardable event. So I think strong odor obedience is another piece that I borrowed. And when my dog Jake was being trained for narcotics work, he would sit and intently stare at the source of the odor, and then I would deliver a toy to wherever he was staring. Okay. And... And having that final pull, that odor, was a carryover from law enforcement that I think has been a tremendous leg up for me. Wow, that's that's really cool. It's um, yeah. It, now, now, did you train 
though, for, from a narcotics perspective, did you train that, that passive alert? Was he more of like an aggressive yes. alert type of dog? He was trained. He would become an aggressive alert dog if he was if he frustrated was or had been searching a long time without a without a find. He would bite. Okay. <laughs> he would bite the height. Yeah. If he finally got there, he'd bite it and then sit and stare at it. But you get even with the difficulty of the search at some point. Yeah. Um, but no, he was trained to sit and stare, and he was trained for duration. Okay. Okay. And he was trained to sit there and stare and, and wait, 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 and then deliver the toy. Oh, the other okay. difference is he was never trained with food. He never got a single food treat, not not at all. And all of my current dogs work for food. Right, right. Now, what what about the the benefits and the you know? Because a lot of times people say, oh, you know, I would love to be able to work with work for a toy. And, you know, and I see a lot of downsides with working for a toy and nose work, but I also see a lot of upsides. What are, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are your thoughts on that as far as like working for food or, or toys or in nose work? Well, as a handler, I love that my dogs will work for food because it's just easier. I mean, it's just so much easier to deliver food placement well and to carry food and, and it takes a lot less time. But the dogs that will work for a toy tend to have more dynamic searches and a ton more energy. So there's a real beauty to that, too. Yeah. Um, I handled a while ago, so I'm sure that um, narcotics training has changed and evolved, just like everything in life changes and evolves. But one of the hardest things for me to learn when I started handling my narcotics dog was how to deliver the toy to source. Right. And so I'd have to run around with a tennis ball in my back pocket and when we'd get to a, like, say, a cabinet, I'd have to throw the tennis ball to hit the cabinet where the dog was staring and have the dog take the ball and play. And I was, like, no good at that. That was such a frustration to try and get that toy to be delivered at the exact point that Trent was. Now, obviously, you could also do a mark and release the dog off and not be so, you know, pathological about making sure the delivery was right at source. But I remember that being a real frustration. Um, but delivering for toys also had some real advantages. Um, my dog was good at elevation, and he was, he was super at, at finding elevated hides. And the reason that came about is when he'd sit and stare at an elevated hide, instead of trying to throw a ball, I'd use a laser light, and I'd shoot the laser at the hide and then run it down the wall and let him chase the laser light. So he got super good at finding elevation. Oh, wow. Using that as a reinforcer. Yeah. And that was an accidental discovery that was never intended, but we found out how much he loved that and used it just for elevated heights. And, and it was really, really effective for him. Although for many dogs, that would be, that would lead to lots of problematic behaviors. So I'm not suggesting it, but right. it right. was an accidental discovery for how you could use a toy. I mean, talk about commitment at source. If he thinks he's waiting for the light to come, he'll sit there for a week. <laughs> so that was really, it was really a nice, it was really a nice way to be able to reinforce elevation. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I tried it. I tried it once with one of my whippets, and she started looking all over the house for light. But it was a one-shot deal, and laser light got stomped on after that because it was really bad for her. But right, it was really good for my narcotics dog. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I hated about training with toys on the street is if your dog would find a 
hide, now you chuck a ball and the ball bounces and you've got the dog on a three or four foot leash in traffic oh. trying to get that toy to reward the dog. It, it would have been so much easier if I could have handed him food versus deal with a ball that has a way of bouncing and getting away. So now this is just like a silly question that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just wondering, you know, is is there, what's what's the, the reason why you never reward with food and um, professional detection? You know, I, I can't say, I don't know if, if that's still the case. At the time, I think there was a need to not re- reinforce with something that would be in the environment okay. so the dog could self-reward on food. But I think part of the other, another factor was these dogs were selected for crazy toy drive. Uh, if they didn't okay. have mad toy drive, they just weren't selected. Okay. Okay. And and when we were training them, one of the things we would do to get them started is you'd store the toys in with some marijuana. And so finding marijuana was finding the toy. You'd pop the drawer and there'd be the ball. And so... I think choosing dogs that were into toys really fit the training methods at the time. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, which actually gets me to to my next question. And it really comes down to, now, of course, there's a lot of different methods to train nose work. Um, You know, you've got, actually, there are a lot of different methods, but what, what are kind of some of the similarities that you see in some of the training methods and what are some of the differences? Well, because there's so many methods, some almost follow it exactly and some are and some don't follow it at all. So that's a that's a tough one. Oh, okay. But okay. Making pairing you know, no matter what method you train at some level you're pairing in that finding odor equals your reinforcer. Right. But right. how that pairing takes place and the steps in which it takes place very wild you know, wildly. Um so that that one's that one's tough, but that, that the nice tough. thing with toys, when I started training, is we could make the toys smell like what the dogs were going to be looking for. Okay. And okay. that made it, it, it almost made it like looking for food. I mean, they were looking for their toy, but their toy also was the odor. Right. That was a really clean way to get them started. So it was just really kind of, you, you know, pairing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The two become one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, wow. Yeah, this is, so, so you've been able to really, really take a lot of, a lot of your, your background and everything and and really help. So what's the difference from, you know, now you're training whippets, right? Yep. Yep. And before you were training, um, you were training a a lab and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I've trained, you know, sight hounds and everything like that, you know, but you, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a lab person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a standard poodle person. I don't want to diss my, diss my poodle <laughs> or my mini Aussie, but, uh, yeah. but I, I do love my labs. Um, what's the difference, like, you know, what, what are some of the differences that you see in training your whippets? Well, my lab on one search was, we'd thrown him up on a trailer and he was searching, and he completed his search, and when I brought him down, he cut one of his pads clean in half, one of the pads on his feet, and he never yelped and never quit searching, you know, and the whippets don't have any of that in them. 
know, that, that level of commitment, that level of drive, my whippets don't have that. Um, also, my lab was impervious to stress and impervious to environment. Right. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that there were literally squad cars flying by, people in handcuffs on the ground, animals in the car. It just didn't matter. He just got out and did his job. Right. He didn't feel any of that. My whippets are looking for something to be concerned about. Um, my whippets, if they are wet and cold, <laughs> aren't going to search. <laughs> my whippets need my whippets need to be warm. They need to be taken care of. They need to feel safe. <laughs> and sometimes they need to be released into the search area for a moment um, and to move to get into the flow before they can work. You know, I used to be able to pull Jake out. He's been sleeping for an hour. You pull him out, snap the leash on, and he goes right to his job. He didn't need that minute to collect his thought. Right. The other thing that... I didn't have, you know, the, another difference is Jake was extremely tolerant of being within three feet of me for the search. Oh, um, and he had to okay. be. He had to be on my left-hand side. I had to keep my gun hand free. Okay. I had to be half with him, half without him, because I had to keep my mind on the environment during the search. I can't just watch the dog because things could be happening all around me. So I needed to be partly on, you know, partly with him and partly not with him. And he could tolerate that too. Where, where my whippets need to be, my they need to know that, that I'm there with them, but they can't handle that proximity. If I tried to search with my whippets on a three foot leash, I don't think I'd get very far. So tons of difference. You know, Jake could handle proximity and not false alert. He could be really close and not be concerned. I could use my body to push him onto a vehicle and hold him close, and he wouldn't want to get out of there. Tons and tons of differences between wow. the dogs. Wow, yeah. And I'm... some of that's temperament. Some of that's temperament of the dog and not just difference in breed. But certainly the breed matters, too, or you wouldn't see specific breeds overrepresented in narcotics work. Right, right. Yeah, you see a lot of labs, Malinois, German Shepherds. Yep. Yeah, dogs yep, and are... those are dogs that can take a little bit of handle handler proximity and a little bit of pressure. Yeah, a little bit of pressure. Yeah, and if you yep. look at you know our our the typical nose work dog, the typical nose work dog is is a pet first and foremost. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. these these dogs aren't and and nose work is a game. It's a it's a enrichment activity and a game that they play with their handlers. This isn't life and death. This isn't going to court. Now this is. These are temperaments that are well-represented. You know, every different temperament is out there doing this with, with handlers that are out there whose primary concern is to have a great a great thing, a great thing they can share with their pet. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, so you, you get a lot of, you, you get these dogs that are um, maybe not, you know, high drive to begin with and um, probably can't handle that proximity. And we're finding you know, in nose work, like if you, you give your dog more space, your dog is more able to work. Absolutely. Yeah. My dog searched on an 18 foot plexi. Oh, is that what you do? I do. Oh. And my dogs okay. work a long ways from me and talk about not where I started from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very different. And, and I, I'm not crazy about, I'm not crazy about that distance, but my dogs are. And they go into motion early, and they need that release, and so they get what they want. 
yeah. that's what they need. That's fantastic. So. That's fantastic. So you're you're really learning the whole flip side of um, scent detection. Absolutely, and also watching dogs work air. I mean, I, that was not something that I really needed my narcotics dog to do because there weren't very many circumstances where I was going to cut him loose and let him work independently. Okay. And I really didn't want him working scent cones. I wanted him detailing where we were. I wanted him to stay with me and, and search on my pattern. I, I wanted him with me. I didn't want him wondering if there was something across the room to find. I wanted him looking where we were. Okay. Okay. So that, that yeah, really very, is a Yeah, very different thing. game. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is really fascinating. I'm, I'm learning a ton. I'm learning a ton. And it's, I've, I've been I've been learning so much. I just learning at the level three has been just mind blowing for me. Uh, in levels one and two, it didn't hurt me to let my dogs work the air and just chase after my dogs randomly. But I found that going into my first level three search, I really really wanted my dog to search my pattern. I really wanted that, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna. And probably, I have no idea what it's going to take for me to let that go, but I'm going to have to find it because that's not that's not the best way to do a three. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really not. But yeah, you know, no, no. yeah. I mean, what what is going to be your plan for, you know, for the the NW three? Well, I mean, you have a couple under your belt. I mean, do you? I do. Um, I do. You know, do you? Um, I'm working on it. My <laughs> two NW threes came six days apart. And so I don't think I've had time really to learn from from my two runs because they were six days apart. That's wow. crazy. I got really lucky on a draw, and I, I didn't expect them to be sandwiched together so tight. So I haven't even received the videos from my second run. And I'm going to have to sit down with those videos. I'm going to have to watch my dog, and I'm going to have to draw a plan for him. And I think it's going to be let him work. You know, chase him like I did in two, and then do a loose sweep where mm. he can choose to detail or not detail, but I'm going to walk him through that air and let him do what he does and then call it. It's yeah. sort of my loose plan, but I'm going to need to look at the videos and see if I think that would be sufficient. Um, I probably am going to try and run detection dog style with my nosework two dog. Okay. I, am, I think I'm going to try and handle him like I handled my detection dog for competition for some specific reasons. He, he wears out very quickly, and his nose doesn't pick up scent towns. And really? he really likes being close to me. Really? And so I think with those combinations, I think, I think it might be best for him. Again, you know, the best-made plans, you know, who knows if that'll yeah. be the most efficient way to search with him. But I'm curious to see... How is, that is would this hold your, your pit bull? Yep, my pit bull gator. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well, he's yep. he's a little older too, isn't he? He's ten years old and he's not in great health. Okay. And so, if I tried this, and it was a failed experiment. It would be a painless failed experiment because he will enjoy. He enjoys everything we do, so it's not gonna it's not gonna depress him to not get to run around and chase scent cones. He's He's very comfortable being close to me. In fact, that's always been a training problem because he'll body slam me and take me out of the knees. And oh, geez. He really likes proximity and physicalness. So I don't think there's any downside. I don't think it'll depress him. I, I don't think it'll stress him. Okay. I'd like to try it and just run it as an experiment and see what happens with times 
when we're searching a handler lead pattern and then watch what happens with dog lead patterns with my other two dogs okay. who would hate being on a three-foot leash with me. They would hate it. Right, right. So not going not to try it with the whip. It's because they just aren't wired for that. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about doing anything. I mean, I, I just let my dogs work and then, um, you know, I, I kind of play clean it batter is what I call it. Mm-hmm. You know, where yep, I say, absolutely. okay, we and haven't checked the corner. Come well, on, let's go check this out and then try to, you know, get them in the corner. And then I take a step back because I don't want to worry about um, any kind of false alerting or anything like that. Just because I said, right. let's check, the, let's check an area. You know. Yeah, and, and, you know, this has been a topic that's been in my area anyway that has been brought up quite a bit about handler-led patterns or handler plans. Uh, I know on a lot of score sheets that are coming back, it's, did you have a plan? Did you have a pattern? And the words pattern and plan are not maybe not being used interchangeably. Okay. Um, did you have a pattern might suggest were you going to walk in and do this, or do you have a plan for, and the plan might be a much more fluid way of covering the room. Right. Used to be we'd see, did you have a pattern? And I think what was being looked for is search the perimeter clockwise, search the interior, do a reverse flow and get out. That would be what I would imagine when people are talking about patterns. But now I'm seeing the word plan is showing up on the score sheets more. And I think having a plan is probably a good idea. Um, a plan that's subject to change based on what the dog wants to do off the start line. Yeah. And the plan being to sweep the, uh, you know, how you want to sweep the areas depending on where your dog starts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could I can see um, benefits and challenges to having a pattern, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from, from a, especially when you're running elite searches, you know, you've got these huge areas and, you know, your dog's running around, you know, looking for scent cones. It's really hard to really, you know, see what have they searched and what haven't they searched. Um, right. So if you had a pattern, you know, you you would know that. But a pattern can sometimes take a little bit longer than, you know, not a pattern. And what if you're, you, you know, you're enforcing a pattern and you're in a dead area? Yeah. And the other thing is, is if the dog... Sometimes odor, odor doesn't just sit and smoothly emanate from source. Right. Odor swirls and flies. And if that dog sits odor in, when they're not near the height at all and they want to veer and work it, um, what if your pattern is going to miss the scent cone? Right. Or miss the trace. Right. So it's pretty hard to think that teaching your dog to ignore live scent makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Now, that that would be necessary if you're standing next to an interstate with a car and, you know, sirens and squads and people. You need the dog to search your pattern there. You right. can't sit and chase that phone. It's not, you just can't do it. It's yeah. not safe. No. But, but in nose work, man, I'd be hard-pressed to pull my dog off of odor to try and impose a search plan or a search pattern because I just don't. I don't know that they'll find it back. And yeah. I also think when you pull them off of scent, they might give that height up as something you didn't want because you stopped them from going there. Right. Right. Exactly. They might not choose to go back and work it because they got a no from their handler when they picked it up. Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think that's a, that's another huge, um, huge point right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that's always risky. 
if they find it, they got to know from you, they might just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, this has been hugely informative for me. Um, is there anything else? This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was fun. (laughs) This was fun. Uh, This is a, you know, great way to spend my morning. That's for sure. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, is there anything else that you think that, you know, people would really benefit from hearing? You know, one thing, you know, I, when I get the score sheets and it's the pattern or plan and when you get feedback, I think it's really important to consider the feedback, but also consider that any feedback you get is coming from someone who doesn't live with your dog, know your journey, know your challenges. I think it's critical that we love them for what they are and we honor the game for what it is and don't get too serious about trying to shave three seconds. This is something we do to enrich our time with our dogs. This is something they're born to do. This is a game we play. And to maximize that, I mean, whatever your dog's skill is, play to their skills, have your fun, make it rewarding, and try to gain five seconds by taking ex- excess control probably probably isn't worth it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really great point. And hopefully you don't hear all that barking in the background. No, just a little. Okay. That's, <laughs> Welcome to your mailman. <laughs> yeah, it's the mailman. Oh, the mailman has to come during my podcast. Yeah, we're, we're wrapping up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I'm not going to want to edit any of this out. You were like, like this was absolutely, mm-hmm. fun. this was a fantastic, fantastic uh, conversation. And leave it in. People, people that are listening to this have dogs and they bark at mailmen. So yeah, yeah I, I put them in the crate. <laughs> I, I'm hiding upstairs in my bedroom right now with my computer going (laughs) oh don't bark don't bark oh Oh, but joey hates the mailman he just really he he hates the mailman with a passion and i think when he reacts strongly the mailman goes away so he's found a system that works exactly he's been totally reinforced (laughs) for it and um, absolutely yeah so i i have a feeling i just got mail (laughs) but yeah so well, thank you so much. This has just been so this much fun. This was a pleasure. I appreciate it. I really, really appreciate you you coming and and sharing you know everything that you know all all this great great information that you know and um, and your experiences. And I think people are really going to enjoy this podcast. And I I really would like to thank you for all the coaching. I've been bronze a lot, and I've learned so much. And what a what a great way to learn. When you live out in the middle of nowhere, what a great way to play the game by being able to get online and, and learn the skills and learn the games. It's been it's been wonderful. So thank you so much for all of that. Oh, certainly, certainly. I'm really, really glad to hear that that's really helping. It's uh, been fabulous. Oh, awesome. So thanks again, and um, have a great, great day for the rest you of your too. day. And uh, I'll, I'm going to go and rescue my dogs out of their crates. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.